mom anxiety is natural. It's going to happen because when you're responsible for keeping a little human alive, there's a lot of anxiety that comes with that. And it's really hard to do. And you should be very proud of yourself if you're doing that. But to ease your own mind, it can be a lot of pressure and anxiety and very hormonal. I'm Lindsay. I'm here to teach you proven strategies to be your own therapist that will take you from anxious to relieved. I'm here to help you feel lighter and hopeful while building a life full of meaning. I'm a licensed anxiety therapist running a successful private practice in New York City. So from someone that gives therapy and has been in therapy, I'm here to help you use the formula that moved me forward through serious anxiety in my own life. So follow along as I share what works and what doesn't. This is Unlock Your Therapy. Hello, and welcome to the Unlock Your Therapy podcast. I'm Lindsay, your host. This is session number 27. We have a great episode for you today. First up on the podcast is High and Low, where I talk about something high from the past week to reflect and be grateful. And I share a low from my life to relate to all of you, share about my journey, and share that things don't go perfectly like we always see polished on social media. So that's always my goal of high and low. And I encourage you all to reflect on your week. What was the high? What was the low? It can really teach us a lot of what's going well, what isn't, what needs our attention, what's something to be happy about and little joys in our day. After high and low, we're going to get into anxiety where we talk about a hot topic in the media, in mental health, something pressing. I recently did an Instagram poll. If you don't follow me on Instagram, you should. I'm at Unlock Your Therapy. And I shared a poll about content that you all want to see on the podcast, hear about, me to speak about. And I had a few people say mom anxiety. In our private practice, we specialize in anxiety and also maternal mental health. So I do have a lot of people on Instagram following me that are new moms, pregnant, or people that are struggling with infertility, postpartum, loss miscarriage, abortion, various topics of maternal mental health, which really run the gamut from people who are struggling with infertility or not moms yet, people that have had a loss, people that are moms and have older kids even. That's all part of maternal mental health and women's health. And it's an important topic to me I'm a mom. <laughs> and I just see even in my audience that are not moms, I think it's an important topic to discuss because I have a lot of women in their 20s that see us in our private practice and clients of mine from the past. And a lot of my therapists that work in my practice see women in early adulthood. And even if they're not moms, the questions weigh on their mind about motherhood. What will that look like? What do they want? Do they want to be a mom? Do they not want to be a mom? And all of that's still part of maternal mental health. Even for women who decide they don't want to be moms, it's still 
a decision women have to make and face and different feelings about and society pressure. So with that being said, I got a question about mom anxiety and the topic of speaking about how to deal with mom anxiety. And that is a huge topic. So I want to go over some different things I had in mind when I hear mom anxiety that I just want to speak on. And hopefully that is helpful to some people listening. After anxiety, I'm going to go into skill of the week. And the skill of the week is probability. We're going to talk all about how to use probability math, numbers, facts, and logic to counter fear, anxiety, fear of the unknown, uncertainty, rumination, and feeling stuck. And having those nagging thoughts at us of what if something bad happened? You know, intrusive thoughts that might pop in about things that could happen. And we're going to use math to combat that. And it's super helpful. One of the most helpful concrete skills to help use with anxiety. And we're going to go into how I teach that skill in therapy and how I use that skill if I'm ever struggling with a decision or if I notice I have an anxiety about something. So I'm going to teach you all how to do that today and how you can start using that skill of probability. And then for action item of the week, you're going to take away something and use the probability skill and apply it to that. I want you to actually do a math calculation about whatever it is for you, even if it's something small and benign. Or if it's something really big and a huge fear of yours or a phobia or something you just feel stuck on or anxiety around, I want you to apply the probability math problem to it. Okay, let's dive in. High and low. My high, let's start on a high note. I need some positive energy right now because I'm sick. Hi is our loan for our Vermont house we're getting that we're going to be doing a side business of Airbnb with as well as enjoying it as a country getaway for our family. The loan got approved and it's moving forward towards getting a closing date set within less than a month from now. So that is so exciting. I can't wait for that. I'm trying to picture painting it and ordering some furniture for it and things that one might need in an Airbnb. We as a family have stayed in a lot of Airbnbs ranging from a room, basements, little apartments, to small houses, to Airbnbs in Europe. So we have a lot of experience with Airbnb. So I'm trying to think of all the pros and cons of places I've stayed at things I liked, things I needed when we were there that we didn't have, just to make it as nice as possible. And even though, you know, part of me wishes we could have a second home, like a country home that's just ours, so we could just leave all our crap there and not have to worry about it. But part of me actually really likes that it's going to be an Airbnb and we're going to be renting it out because that means it really has to stay totally empty and pristine like a hotel. And when we go there, it's just going to be 
as if we're walking into an Airbnb that's just empty and nice and doesn't have our stuff there at all. Um, I think we're just going to have a closet with a lock on it so we could keep some things, you know, like maybe some toys for my kids or our own separate towels and sheets just because I don't want to share with guests and little things like that. But aside from those things, it's just going to be hotel-like, I'm hoping. So that part of me really likes that idea. So yeah, it's unknown, but I'm so excited about it. And we're diving right in and hoping it all goes smoothly. But that's definitely my high. It's kind of like hard to imagine. We've actually never seen this house in person still. We have not gone up there to see it. We just saw it. I saw it on FaceTime and then I showed Dan and that's how we bought this house. So I'm excited to actually go up there and see this house that we purchased. I have no idea, you know, like what the road looks like driving up there or, you know, we've been to that town many times. I know the road it's off of, but I don't know what that side street that it's on looks like. It goes up a hill, like on the side of a mountain. So I just know what it looked like on video. So that's exciting. My low is that I'm sick. Carson gave me strep and we both had strep over the long weekend. And I had to spend our day off going with the two kids to the pediatrician, then to CVS to get his medicine. Then when they called me and said it was strep, I knew I had what he has. So then I had to go to urgent care with both of the kids. Dan was away for the weekend. So I brought both kids to urgent care. The wait was like an hour and a half. And it's usually like literally 10 minutes at the urgent care I go to. So that was terrible. Both kids were angels. They were so good, so well behaved. After urgent care, we had to go back to CVS for my medicine. Then when I got home, I got so sick. I had a fever of like 101 all night long. It's like the most sick I've been in years. So Carson was facing it much better than I was. He didn't even have a fever. He just told me his throat hurt and he seemed like he didn't feel so great. But he recovered and bounced back perfect. He was asking to go to school. I kept him home on Tuesday. I stayed home sick. Dan had to call out sick to take care of us all. And yeah, it was just, it's been a sick week. I'm recovering, but not fast enough. It's like in my chest now. So hopefully I uh, trend in a better direction. Okay, next up is anxiety. So in anxiety, we're going to talk all about mom anxiety. So mom anxiety is natural. It's going to happen because when you're responsible for keeping a little human alive, there's a lot of anxiety that comes with that. And it's really hard to do. And you should be very proud of yourself if you're doing that. Right? It's just the basic task of you have a little baby, they're you know fed and warm and comfortable. That's huge right there. But to ease your own mind, it can be a lot of pressure and anxiety and very hormonal. So after you have a baby, it's very natural to have a lot of anxious thoughts or intrusive thoughts, most of which center around, is my baby going to die in the middle of the night or stop breathing? It's very natural to check on the baby, make sure the baby's still breathing. All of that's normal. It feels crazy. 
It makes you feel crazy, but just know that that gets better. It gets less intense. Those thoughts improve. And really, they're biologically hardwired in us because, you know, just evolution wants us to keep those little babies alive. And that's unfortunately stuck with us, even though our babies are very safe. Probabilities on our side as well. The baby is most likely just going to be fine sleeping through the night on their own. But it's natural to feel that panic and anxiety around that. And it's a very common fear. Most of my clients who have babies or are pregnant or new moms have shared those thoughts with me. And that's very normal. Sometimes people get dark intrusive thoughts of like, what if I throw my baby down the stairs, right? Just like horrible thoughts. Of course, they don't want to do that, but they just get intrusive, dark thoughts. And that can happen too. And a lot of that is hormonal. And it's really just the mind being like, what's the worst thing I could think of? Oh my God, how could I even have that thought? And the brain just like brings up these other thoughts that come up for them. Those go away too. All of these things are phases. And with motherhood, just remembering that Everything is a phase and everything is so temporary. When you're in it, it does not feel temporary at all. And your experience is going to be different from other people's experience. So if you share something with someone who's a mom and you think, oh, I'm going to ask their opinion on this or I'm going to see if they can relate to this and they don't or they have totally different experience and you can't relate to what they're saying, you start to feel bad about yourself, just remember that might bring up something in them that they feel guilty about or they don't want to share or they want to put themselves in a positive light so they don't want to share their own struggles with you. They're just not comfortable being vulnerable about a topic or maybe they don't have that struggle. They probably have different struggles though that they're not sharing with you. So just know your experience is very different. And I just know from personal experience, it's hard to share with other moms because you don't have the same experiences. And it's hard to be close enough to someone where they're willing to admit their struggles as a mom and be open about that. And that is what is really going to help you feel better. (laughs) Like, okay, other moms struggle with this too. And they're not perfect. And it's not all together. And they feel like they're not doing the best job all the time. It's hard for people to admit that unless they're really close to you. So just know they likely struggle too. And that's not the pictures you'll see on Facebook or Instagram, nor should you, right? I don't post pictures of when I'm struggling on there. So I don't think it's expected people do that. Sometimes you hear that like, oh, if people knew what was behind the scenes, but like why? Like no one wants to see that either, right? Like no one wants you posting pictures of your kids' tantrums or you crying in the bathroom because you're overwhelmed. So it's normal to share the positives. And the positives is what keep us going. And you should highlight the positives. So just know if your experience is different, that's okay. Like for example, I hated pregnancy. And that's a bit taboo to say because there's a lot of people who can't get pregnant or who struggle to get pregnant. I didn't struggle to get pregnant both times, but I hated pregnancy. Of course, I was happy to be pregnant. I wanted to be pregnant. I purposefully got pregnant. I love my children. But I didn't like the experience of being pregnant physically for my body. I just didn't enjoy it. And a lot of people can't relate to that. They're like, oh, I loved it. I felt the best in my life. But hearing that was very invalidating to me. When I shared with people, wow, yeah, I really don't like being pregnant. So uncomfortable. And someone would say, oh, really? I loved it. It was the best time of my life. 
that's really invalidating to me sharing with you, right? If I'm opening up and sharing that I'm struggling, I'm pregnant, I'm not enjoying being pregnant, I my back hurts, I have scoliosis, it was painful, it's just physically uncomfortable. <laughs> and then someone says that in response to what I'm saying to them. That feels really invalidating. And it's just like, ugh. And then you're already sensitive, right? Because <laughs> you're pregnant and hormonal. But it's okay. Everyone has different experiences. But just know like if someone's sharing something with you, they're not necessarily asking of your different experience unless they ask you, what was your experience? Oh, I actually liked it. Okay. But if someone's just sharing, oh, I'm really struggling, blah, blah, blah. And if you say, oh, I didn't struggle at all, right? That's very invalidating. <laughs> but people do that without thinking and it's, they don't mean to. They're not trying to invalidate you, but that can happen, right? And it could be the opposite. You could say, oh my God, I'm loving being pregnant. And someone could say, oh, I hated when I was pregnant. It was terrible, right? That's not a nice response either, right? So just kind of read the room and try to validate new moms who are struggling and who are stressed and overwhelmed. And if they're a little snippy or sensitive, just give them some grace because we are. (laughs) So if your experience is different, that's okay. Same with breastfeeding, bottle feeding. I think moms are really good about respecting what anyone's doing and fed is best. I do think majority of moms are really good with that. I've really not heard a lot of moms be like shaming of like giving formula or not. I think moms themselves are very supportive of no matter what you do. I think sometimes the professionals at the hospital and stuff or different doctors can be one way or another. But moms themselves, I've never heard moms really talk badly either way. I think moms know like, hey, everything is good here. As long as your baby is not hungry, you're doing amazing. But people's experience are different too, you know? So when you're sharing with people, just know that it's okay if you feel different. Another example for me was when I had Carson, my first son, people would say, oh, it goes by so fast, right? Same with pregnancy too. Like when I was like nine months pregnant, wow, your pregnancy went by so fast. Oh, did it go by fast for you, Kimberly? Because it didn't go by fast for me. (laughs) The one who's pregnant every day was really slow and agonizing. And then the same with the first year of having a baby. With my first baby, it it goes by fast in a sense overall, sure. But with my first baby, it did not go by fast. It was very slow. I felt like time was moving very slow. My baby woke up during the night. I mean, he was a good sleeper overall, but there would be plenty of nights where he would wake up. I'd have to feed him. I was very sleep deprived. I wasn't used to being sleep deprived because I never had a baby before. So it was a whole new world to go from not having kids to having kids. That was much harder for me. Going from zero to one was harder than going from one to two, for sure, (laughs) for me. So it's just different for everybody. So when you say something to someone, oh yeah, wow, his first year went by so fast. Did it go by fast for you? Because it didn't for me. It was slow. And I felt like, wow, I made it to a year. Okay, thank God. I can breathe a little more. I feel better. I feel like things are settled down more. I feel more like myself again. Like my body is healed more. I feel like I can attend to my own needs again. So that's just a lot of part of mom anxiety, I think, is just wondering if you're doing it right. Are other people struggling the way you are in the same way as you are? feeling like everyone has it all together, but they of course don't. And people struggle in different ways. So someone who keeps their house like immaculate and clean and organized, that's great. 
I don't have my house that way. I wish I did. I wish I was that kind of person. (laughs) I'm not. My goal is to get there, but just know those people struggle in different ways, right? Maybe they're really anxious and it makes them really uncomfortable to have a messy, disorganized house. That must be really uncomfortable to need your house so organized all the time that it gives you anxiety if it's not. That sounds uncomfortable too, right? So it's just a different struggle. They keep it that way to keep their anxiety under control. And if their house isn't under control, they feel out of control. While if your anxiety isn't heightened, you might have a more higher threshold for mess and clutter because it doesn't affect you at all. (laughs) And that's a different struggle, right? Like there is a healthy level of anxiety that is good and will keep your house in order. But I'm just saying people have different struggles, right? They're good at certain things for certain reasons and they struggle with other things for other reasons. There's no good or bad there. I'm just saying that's just an example I'm using. If you keep your house immaculate, I want you to teach me how to do it because I'm not there. <laughs> Those are, that's hashtag goals for me. I think that's the main points of anxiety. And just know for mom anxiety, it's going to change and evolve as your baby does, right? And then you'll look back like, oh yeah, wow, I do remember struggling with those thoughts or worries or anxiety a few months ago. And now I'm in a different place. My baby's at a different place. They go through those phases quickly. So even if they're like in a sleep regression and not sleeping and you're sleep deprived and you feel like you haven't gotten dressed or done your hair and makeup or you don't feel like yourself, just know it's a phase and they'll they'll come out of that. They'll be doing something different that's going to bother you in a month from now. (laughs) So whatever they're going through will change. If they're teething and it's terrible or they're gassy, right? That resolves itself by six months. Those gas issues resolve themselves. The teething resolves itself. They always get more teeth, which is hard, (laughs) but it's just different for everybody. And some babies struggle with certain things and some don't. With Carson, for teething, he was really fussy with teething. It would really bother him. He'd cry a lot. He'd wake up a lot during the night. He had gas struggles a bit when he was younger. Everett, my second son, doesn't have that. When he's teething, He's pretty okay. Like he'll like gnaw on his hands a bit. He gave himself like a hickey on his hand the other day. And he'll like want crackers and crunchy things more. But it doesn't bother him where I notice a big change in his personality or that he's really struggling a lot. I don't notice a big change in him the way I would with Carson. With Carson, I'm like, oh my God, the teething never ends. He's getting another tooth. Oh, we got to go through this again. Sometimes I'd even have to give him Tylenol. I noticed he was in a lot of pain. With Everett, he's not had that. And he has a lot of teeth. Now he has like 10 teeth now. <laughs> and he really didn't seem to struggle as much with the teething. So it's just totally different. And you're the best mom for your kid. I truly believe that. And you know your baby best, your child best. And it's just different. Oh, the other thing I wanted to touch on is anxiety about letting other people watch your baby. This is a big one when you start to go back to work or you have to leave your baby with someone, a family member or a babysitter or daycare. And there's pros and cons to each one of those, right? But just trust that other people are going to do it different than you and try not to micromanage it too much. Let them know of this is what they prefer. This is how I feed them. But I remember with Carson, he would only really nap if I held him a certain way, like with his belly against my belly sideways. Like he liked to lay long ways across me with his head, like in the nook of my elbow. And I would hold him like by his butt and like 
his body would be pressed up against mine. And if I held him like that, he would sleep for like three hours on me. And I remember thinking, oh, how is he going to go to daycare? They're not going to hold him like this for nap time, will they? Maybe they will. And quickly you realize like, of course, they're not going to hold your baby for nap time. But that teaches your baby new skills that they really need to learn. And it's so helpful for them to learn that. And it's really good that they're with other people that they're going to learn different things. Because I would know what he likes. I would do things the way he likes, of course, because I wanted him to get a long nap so I could do things and rest a little bit. And I wanted things to be more efficient and quicker and the way he liked them. But really, that's not in your baby's best interest anyway. (laughs) It's in their baby's best interest to learn new skills and new self-soothing and to be able to fall asleep in a crib for nap time and to eat on more of a schedule and not always on demand as they get older, et cetera, et cetera, right? But of course, that brings up anxiety for us. Like, oh, they're not going to feed them the way we want. They're not going to do this the way we want. Like, trust that they probably have a lot more experience than you do, right? Especially if you're a new mom, these people working in daycares or babysitters or family members, They've had babies around much more than you have, so they know even more than you do. And they might have new things to teach your baby. And you'll see your baby advance and develop and be exposed to more people and get more comfortable with different environments. And that really stimulates their development for life. What they learn as a baby and toddler sets them up for life. It's proven research. So expose them to different kinds of people and ways of doing things really early on. It's really good for them. And it's more your own anxiety. Your baby will be fine. And I'm sure you know that. And it's really you, right? It's like when they're training dogs, right? It's always the human and not so much the dog. They have to train the human to be able to respond to the dog correctly and train the dog better. (laughs) So it's up to us as the parents. I created something brand new, the No More People Pleasing mini course. I help women to stop people pleasing and put themselves first without the guilt. What would life look like if you could stop asking your partner to order food for you in a restaurant or ask your boss for that raise you're long overdue for? I'm gonna teach you four proven strategies, research proven strategies that's gonna bring you from people-pleasing and passive to empowered and confident. You're gonna use my outline, my scripts, my beautifully designed PDFs to get the exact skills you need to become more assertive in your life. I'm gonna teach you four skills through my videos and worksheets that's gonna bring you to a place of confidence and being assertive in your life. You're gonna get my beautifully designed self-esteem daily journal to print out, my practice assignments to start changing your mindset and your behaviors. If you sign up now before I launch, you can get it for $29. That's the lowest it will ever be. And I'm giving everyone who signs up now a bonus gift. So go to at Unlock Your Therapy on Instagram, click the link in my bio to get on the list. Let's move into skill of the week. So today I'm going to talk about probability, and this is pretty straightforward. I'm actually going to use the example of 
if you have anxiety around driving a car, right? I live in New York City. A lot of my clients do as well for private practice. And driving a car brings up a lot of anxiety for people who have anxiety. Because driving a car is a lot of things outside your control and trying to have control. You can't control the other drivers, get nervous, nervous about what the other drivers think of you. That turns into defensiveness and road rage and a lot of anxiety about driving a car, anxiety about getting into an accident. So I've noticed this a big theme for people that struggle with high levels of anxiety. So what I try to teach people is using probability around something you have fear and anxiety about. So let's use the example of driving a car. So if someone's really afraid they're going to get into an accident or they're afraid as a passenger in a car, right, even more outside their control, someone else is driving the car. I want you to take out a calculator, and this is your homework for action item of the week as well. So whatever your topic is around what your fear is. Take out a calculator and think of how many times you've done that activity, right? If it's driven a car, for example. Okay, so I've driven a car probably every single day just about, unless I was sick or had surgery or had a baby or (laughs) something like that. But let's say for the sake of simplicity, pretty much every single day since I was 16 years old when I got my driver's license. I love driving. And I, as soon as I got my license, I definitely drove every day as a teenager. So 365 days times, let's say, 20, right? So 20 years ago, I was 16. Ah, so long ago, but not so long ago. (laughs) Anyway, 365 days in a year times 20 years, right? Approximately. Maybe there was like two weeks out of there I didn't drive. So how many times have I driven a car? approximately 7,300 times. How many accidents have I ever been in? Mm, Maybe like one where it was like a fender bender, like just tapped somebody. Let's say two in case there's one I'm missing maybe. I've just also probably something where someone tapped my car. I've really never been in an accident of any significance with like airbags or anything like that. Thank God. Lucky for me. I know a lot of people have. Even if you have, how many times have you been in an accident? So I put two, right? Even though I don't even think it's two and they were not really accidents, just like someone tapping your car. Okay. Even if it is two, okay? Two times out of 7,300 times, that gives me a percentage of 0.00027%. Not even a whole percent. Hardly even a fraction of a percent. If you were to round that, it's 0%, right? That means 99.999% of the time, I don't get into accidents. So the likelihood of getting to an accident over the past 20 years for me has been 0.00027%. And we'll focus on that percent if we're anxious. But if we are using logic, we're going to focus on 99.9% of the time, I don't get into accidents, okay? If someone were to tell you, go play the lotto, it's 99.9% likely you're going to win the lotto today. Would you tell them, no, oh gosh, no, I am not wasting my $2 because it is 0.00027% likely that that would be a waste of $2. I'm not going to win. Of course not. You'll be like 99.9. 
wow, that's pretty certain that I'm going to win the lotto today. Really good odds, right? (laughs) You would never base a logical decision of something else in your life on those kind of faulty math, you know, fear mistakes, using fear and emotion over logic and math. And just remind yourself, I'm a smart person. In other things in my life, I'm very logical. This is obviously an area of my life that is fear-driven and panic-driven and emotion-driven and based on a habitual way that my brain has been trained to think and live in fear and not facts and logic and evidence. So that's okay. But I need to steer my brain towards facts, logic, and evidence and not let it just go down a rabbit hole of fear and emotion. And again, you can use this with anything. Same thing, right, about mom anxiety. If you are afraid of SIDS or afraid of something bad happening to your baby or whatever, use math, right? What is the probability of something bad happening? Probably very low, very low probability. But we only hear about bad things happening, right, on the news or people's stories they share with us. You only hear about horrific stories. People aren't like, oh, guess what? I drove yesterday and I didn't get into an accident. They'd be like, okay, good for you. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Why are you sharing this story with me? This is a non-story. People don't share the non-stories with you. And that's why when we hear stories, they're horrific and they stick with us and we can't stop thinking about them because they're sad and tragic and horrible. And then we think that that's what might happen to us. But it's not because 99.9% of the time, everything is fine. People drive, they come home, everything's okay, right? Same thing of like fear of bridges. Some people are afraid to drive over a bridge. When was the last time you were on a bridge and the bridge fell down underneath you? Never, right? (laughs) So 100% of the time you've driven over bridges. And I'll tell someone during a session, let's stop right here. How many times a year do you think you drive over a bridge, right? No, I really want you to think about it. How many times a month do you have to go over a bridge? Oh, maybe once a month I go to Jersey to see my cousin. Okay, 12 times a year. How many years have you been doing that? 20 years, right? 12 times 20. Do the math. 240 times you've driven over a bridge. How many times has a bridge collapsed underneath you? Zero. When was the last time you heard a bridge in the metropolitan area of New York City just collapsing and falling into the ocean and the, or the river and you know everyone on the bridge their cars fell into the water the east river the hudson river when when was the last time you heard of that happening never right so that's what i mean about using math and logic to help your brain along and to help counter the irrational emotion of certain things right you can't really use this for everything but most things you can use this for And walk yourself through it. And it's a little bit of tough love for your brain. Like, come on, brain, get on board. This is math and like hard science and logic here. You can't really argue with that. You just have to make your brain go in that direction a little more and be a little more stern with your brain. So that's your homework. Skill of the week. I'm sorry. Action item of the week is going to be to use the probability from skill of the week and apply it to whatever it is for you. A lot of my clients are afraid to ride the subway, trains, buses, cars, planes. These are all places you feel trapped and out of control and wondering about uncertainty, thinking of fear, emotion, and not logic and facts and numbers. The logic, facts, and numbers is really what guides most of your life. This is some kind of emotion that's stuck with you. 
And you have to just lean on the numbers to get you through and to tell your brain that you're safe and okay. And you would never make another decision in your life based on 99.9% certainty of it happening, but you wouldn't do it because it's possible you might waste the $2 on the lotto, right? So I really want you to think of that and have it stick in your head. That's always my goal. I love when my clients tell me like, oh, I was hearing your voice this week when I had to go somewhere. I was playing in your head that you said, think of the numbers and the probability. And the best quote, the best motto that you can play in your head for this is just because something is possible does not mean it is probable. Just because something is possible, right? Anything's possible doesn't mean it's probable. It does not mean it's likely to happen to you at all. Anything in the world is possible, but it's not likely. And we can't live our lives around fear and emotion and not 99.9% logic, facts, numbers, math, hard science. So that's your homework. And that's all I got for today. And I hope you all have a good week.